Good. We all okay? Nobody? Somebody? Yeah? Good? Excellent? It's good. It's good to come into God's presence. It's good to spend time in worship. Um, thanks, thanks uh, guys who led us there. It's just wonderful. Um, so we are in Psalm, Psalm 33. A wonderful Psalm. I'm going to read it through. And then I'm going to just share some thoughts just in preparation, really, for coming to the waters of baptism. Psalm 33 says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with harp. Make music to him on this ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Pray skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. But the word of the Lord, sorry, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters and the seas into jars. He put the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of this world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose whose God is the Lord and the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth He who forms the heart of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. On those who hope in his unfailing love to deliver them from death, to keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our great or sorry, in him our hearts rejoice. For we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even even as we put our hope in you. Father, we do just pray as we just look at this psalm, this declaration of praise to you, Lord, that you would just help us, just open our hearts to receive from you what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his unfailing love. That's Psalm 33, verse 18. And this this psalm is is very much a psalm of praise, where we see God who rules, a God who judges, but ultimately a God who can be trusted. I spend most of my week 
some of you or many of you know looking into people's eyes. I'm allowed, by the way, I'm an optician, so that's, it's okay for me, okay? Um, that's my job. But some people do the strangest things, don't they? Some people do quite, over the years there's been some interesting stories of how people have, have reacted and, and what they've done. So remember, many years ago when I worked back in Northern Ireland, this lady walks into the optician, she sits down in the, in the chair to get her eyes tested, and she reaches into her mouth, and she pulls out her false teeth, and she sets them, sets them on the table in front of me. Now, what do you do? So I look at the teeth, I look at her, I just ignore the situation completely, carry on, do the eye test as normal, and then she says to me, is it okay if I put them back in again? I say, yes, please do. She reaches down, she grabs her teeth, back into her mouth, and off she goes. To this day, I have got no idea, no idea whatsoever why on earth she wanted to take her teeth out to get her eyes tested. I sort of wish I asked her now, but I, I didn't at the time. A few, 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 few years later, go into the testing room, get this lady, again, another Ellie comes into the testing room, she sits down, she's just about to sit down in the chair, and she pulls her skirt up, and she takes her tights off. Now, at this moment, I quickly add, I just disappear from the room. I run out to the receptionist, and I says, there's a lady in there, she's getting undressed, I don't know what to do. So, all I could, so as she goes, she walks back in, and or the, the receptionist goes in, and says, ask, what, what do you do? I thought I'd get my, my feet done today. This is no, it's your eyes, dear. It's your eyes. <laughs> a colleague, colleague of mine, a colleague of mine tells the story of, of what happened to him during his pre-regis. It was many years ago, um, again as well. And uh, he was, uh, it was in the days before the sort of frequent replacement contact lenses we have, those daily disposable contact lenses, when you used to wear contact lens for more than a month. And part of the cleaning process is to use a protein tablet little tablet, you dissolve them in saline, then you soak the lenses overnight, probably done about once a week, overnight in this saline, rinse it off again, put the lens back into your eye. So, fairly standard procedure. So, anyway, this lady comes in, they're all women for some reason, I don't know why that is, but anyway, um, this lady comes in, she sits down in the chair, and uh, examines her eyes, has a look at the contact lens, and they're just completely covered in protein. And he says to her, he says, are you using your protein tablets? And she says, oh yes, yes. I says, I take one every week. And... He says, what, what do you mean you take one every... He says, how, how do you take it? He says, oh, with a glass of milk. Now, these, these little tablets are for external use only. Now, to be fair, it hadn't done her any harm, but it just wasn't working for her contact lenses, unfortunately, either. So, so you know, eyes are strange things. People are strange things. Um, but actually, you know, there's so, there's so much in the look. What does God... What does God see when he looks at you? What does he see? In one sense, God is watching all of us all the time. In verse 13, we read that God looks down from heaven on every man, on every woman, on every child. In fact, when we read verses like Psalm 139, verse 7, which had read already for us, it says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I go from your presence? The answer? Nowhere. You go to the depths of the ocean, God's there. You go to the heights of the heavens, God is there. And God knows all about us. He knows what we do. He knows what we say. He knows our innermost thoughts. But what this writer is saying is something more here. Because this 
is a different look. This is a constant look. It is a watchful look. It is a caring look, a look of delight. You know, as Carl and they come to the waters of baptism, I believe God looks on you with delight. As you step in obedience to him, as you step forward into these waters, God looks and God smiles with delight. Your heavenly Father delights in what you're doing in coming forward here this morning. My daughter, Rosie, was was a lot younger. We used to go to the park a lot, to the swings and the slides. I'm sure anybody with young kids know that, that little uh, uh, experience. And sometimes I would sit on the park bench and I would just, just watch her. Just watch her running around, just jumping from one thing to the other. I would never take my eyes off her, just making sure that she was okay, ready to jump up in a moment if she happened to maybe trip or fall, to give her a hug, to comfort her. But always watching, always looking out. I looked because I loved, because I care. I just enjoyed watching her having fun. But should another man be watching my daughter in that way? That's scary. In the eyes of a loving father on a child is a very different look. A look that is motivated by love. And there are two characteristics mentioned within this particular psalm about a child of God. Two things it says that God delights in. And the first, at first read of these things, they almost seem to be complete contradictions of one to another. Fear and hope. But the central meaning of this verse is all motivated by love. A love that actually originates in God. So my fear is of God is shaped by an unfailing love. In fact, my hope by a steadfast, unchanging love of my heavenly Father. A love that is not dependent on anything that I do. In fact, it's not even dependent on my response to God at all. It actually makes no difference to God whether I put my hope in Him or whether I fear Him or not. It doesn't change God's love for me. His love is unconditional. But it changes me. And it changes you. And it benefits. It benefits you. And it's so important that we understand what it means to hope and to fear God. Now the word fear is a particularly difficult one to understand because in many ways the Bible talks about different types of of fears. So different verses in the Bible will tell us that we should not be afraid. The Gospel records over and over again the words of Jesus. He says, do not be afraid. So the only conclusion that I can come to that there is a fear that sometimes benefits us but also there's a fear that can destroy us. When we were growing up, we lived in a farmhouse, this large Victorian house, very high ceilings, very, very high roofs, probably similar height to something like this, this building here. And we were doing, getting the roof fixed one particular summer, and this, so the roofers are up there, the scaffolding up the side of the roof with a ladder running up, up to it. And the guy who worked for my dad called Raymond, and Raymond decided this day to go and give the roofers a bit of a hand. So he climbed up this ladder, just about to step onto the scaffolding when he looked down. Bad mistake. He froze. He literally, and he, he clings there for dear life. We cannot get him up. We cannot get him down. Discover afterwards, of course, he's scared of heights. Worth mentioning, perhaps before he climbed the ladder. Hey, 
But anyway, so he, he, for, for over an hour, seriously, for over an hour, he clung there and he would not move. Eventually, Dad managed to, try to tie a rope around his waist and actually half, well, mainly pulled, half coaxed him in through one of the upstairs bedroom windows and into safety. But fear can be a funny thing, can't it? Because on the other hand, if we stand looking down over the edge of a cliff and don't feel some level of fear, we're, we've either got a death wish or we're just fools. And fear can both be a positive, but also it can be a huge negative for us as well. See, if you get up every morning and have already got a list in your mind of all the things that are possibly going to go wrong in the next 24 hours, you've got a problem with fear. And so many people live their lives completely paralysed by fear. One research paper lists the top fears. Change, financial chaos, spiders. No, I don't know why spiders are number three. Considering what's coming next. Death, terrorist attack, unemployment, being a failure, being alone, the future. And actually, some of us can identify with some of those things. But actually, fear can strangle our faith. It can make us ineffective for Jesus but there's a better way. There's another way. See, in contrast to living in fear, Jesus tells us that we need to be filled with his spirit. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus says, don't be afraid. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid and the Spirit of God can come and bring peace to troubled hearts and to troubled minds. But we get it mixed up, don't we? We spend too long fearing the things of this world, change and circumstances and situations and they're difficult sometimes, but we don't truly fear God, the one who is worthy of fear. And true fear of God comes from knowing him. In one sense, making sure that God is first place in our life is partly what it means to fear God, but there's something more to this. So I want you to come with me just for a moment to, to a scene that unfolds, a scene in the Old Testament in Mount Sinai, where this incredible thing unfolds, recorded first in Exodus chapter 19. And Moses, in obedience to God, comes to Mount Sinai, and as he receives the Ten Commandments, but the impact of that scene is so awesome and actually so terrifying. So listen to how the words, uh, how the writer in the Hebrews describes that scene in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. It says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and to the sound of a trumpet and to the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message could be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given if even a beast touched the mountain it would be stoned indeed so terrifying was the sight that Moses said I tremble with fear and Mount Sinai built for us a picture of what it means to fear God. A God whose terrifying holiness means that an encounter with him should just make us stand back in awe and reverence and fear of him. 
And God's holiness is untouchable and his terrifying presence brought fear to everyone there. So much so that the people actually pleaded with God that God would just leave them. That God would no longer speak to them because of their sin, because of their idolatry and false worship. They could not come near the presence of God. It says even Moses trembled in fear of God. And in Israel's history, this was the summit of people's contact with God. After this particular point, God would actually only God could actually only be approached through blood sacrifices by a high priest given in the most holy place of the tabernacle. Yet God in his mercy, he mercifully gives us this picture of what it means to know him. And as Moses symbolically on Mount Sinai stands between God and the people, he is simply pointing to a better way. He's pointing to the real solution. He is pointing to the perfect mediator. That's why Hebrews carries on in verse 22, and it says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to a heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festive gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirit of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. See, there's another mountain. And if Mount Sinai is a mountain of terrifying holiness, then this mountain is a mountain of healing holiness. And these verses, however, do not contradict one another. This is still a picture of a God who is of God of awesome holiness. A God who has not changed. He is still the living God, verse 22. He's still the judge of all men, verse 23, who can only be approached through blood, verse 24. This godly fear, which Jerry Bridges describes as reverential awe, should drive us to our knees as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to reveal the devastating effect of sin. But fear alone can never bring healing. That's why this psalm, in Psalm 33, verse 18, why fear is linked to hope. Because fear without hope will lead us to the terror of Mount Sinai, which of course is a valid reaction, a valid response to a holy God. Because if we stand before God in our own and by our own strength, we are confronted with actually a terrible reality that it's impossible for us to make up for past failures. It's impossible for us to make up for the sins of the past. It's impossible for us to be forgiven in our own strength. We can never do enough to make ourselves acceptable to God. And terror, terror is an understandable response. But it's not the best response. And what we discover, something amazing, something even thrilling. Moses prophetically spoke about it and pointed towards it. The psalm writer has a limited understanding of it. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, it spells it out for us. And I want you to understand this, particularly as we look at the baptism in a, in, in a few moments, because the baptism just paints this beautiful picture of all that Jesus Christ has done for us in an amazing way. 
we'll see it right before our eyes, demonstrated for us, but actually it begins right back in the Old Testament. It flows throughout all of Scripture, coming into the New Testament, and all of Scripture is pointing towards one person to a secure hope that cannot be shaken because it's placed in unfailing love. His name? Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, was born, he was born into the sinful world. He lived a perfect life. He obeyed, he loved, he feared his heavenly Father. But Jesus was born to die. And he was sentenced to death on false charges. He was cruelly beaten. He was tortured. He was nailed to a cross. And there he was finally left to hang, to bleed, and to die. But the blood that was poured from his body, that was sprinkled onto this ground, sealed a new covenant. It sealed a better way, a new way, one that was so much better than the old. First Peter 2 verse 24, it says, He, that is Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And Jesus Jesus is the solution to the problem of sin, of idolatry, of false worship and fear. He stands between God and us. The perfect mediator. So in the old covenant, it was based on daily animal sacrifices that had to be repeated over and over and over again. But they have been superseded by Jesus Christ's one sacrifice. It was enough. Once and for all. Hebrews 7, 27. And the Old Testament priests were, were replaced by one priest, the ultimate mediator, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And in Jesus, we find a reverence and love and worship of God. And Jesus deals with the terror of Mount Sinai. Without Jesus Christ, fear will destroy your intimacy with God. But in Jesus Christ, we come to another mountain, to the city of the living God, and we place our hope in a kingdom that cannot be shaken and in a mediator of a new covenant. We come through Jesus, the best And the only way to God. And in him we understand what it means to fear God. In a moment we're going to hear some stories. Some personal stories from Cal and from Nay. Of how God has been at work in their life. And we're going to celebrate together all of that. Of God's saving faith. Of responding and coming to Jesus. The one, the only one, who can save us from our sins. So Calanay, don't view God from a distance. Instead, continue to trust even more in his unimaginable love. Don't allow Satan to twist the knife or to bring condemnation or discouragement. Jesus has come with the gospel of grace over your life but for most of us you know I think our danger is not so much that we hold back from God because of terror but actually that we think of God as being a little bit too small 
our minds sometimes can create a false view of God, a God that is a weak God, a God who isn't really God at all. And we need both to have this understanding of what it means to fear God, to have this reverence and awe of Him, but also to have a hope in Him as well, a God whose love is unconditional, whose grace has been poured into your lives. I love the story that Ravi Zachariah tells. He went to a lecture a couple of years back, this this is now, by an astronomer, David Block, in which, in that lecture, they're showing a picture, it's a recent picture of a a NASA um, photograph. In that picture, there were something like a hundred billion stars. And the guy doing the lecture, David Block, he, he described how if you wanted to count every one of those stars in that one picture, if you counted at one per second, it would take you 2,500 years just to count each and every one of them. And Ravi says as he sat there and listened to that lecture, he could not help but think of that verse from the Bible that says, and he made the stars also. It's almost an afterthought in God's mind, perhaps. Such is our God, the one who created everything, the one who made everything, the one who is beyond our imagination. The God who made this universe is a God who is worthy of fearful, reverential awe. And without Jesus, God is terrifying. But with him, he is an indescribable, indefinable mix of reverence, of fear, of pleasure, of joy, of awe that should fill our hearts as we realize that all that God has done for us. And today, we're here to celebrate that through baptism, through the lives and through the stories of, of Nay and Cal. Now, baptism is seen in many different types of churches, whether Orthodox, Roman Catholic, or Protestant. But there are actually significant differences in the way in which different people baptize and different people are baptized. So most of you will have been to something like a christening or an infant baptism. We don't do that here. However, by contrast, we believe that the Bible teaches that baptism is only for those who have already responded in faith to Jesus. See, baptism in itself is not going to save anybody. Only Jesus can do that. But it is a sign It's a declaration of saving faith. The Greek word for baptism means to plunge, to dip, to immerse. It means there's lots of water involved, as you will see in a moment. So the expectation is the person's going to get very, very wet. And they will. Very wet. Completely immersed in the water. In the New Testament part of the Bible, it talks about how people would go down to the, to the local river and be baptized in the river. We have the luxury of warm water, and it's really toasty. Ladies, you'd be glad to hear, nice and warm, um, and obviously just a, a, a nice building in which we can, we can, we can baptize folks in. So, but, but actually, rather than sprinkling, we immerse people under the water. Now, again, there's nothing magical about the amount of water that we use, but it is significant in what the water itself symbolizes. See, water baptism is a picture of joining with Jesus in his burial and in his resurrection. So Romans chapter 6, 3 to 4, Paul describes in a sentence what it means to know Jesus. He says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ 
was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. So as you're going to see in a moment, those who are going to be baptized are going to go down under the water, just for a few seconds. This is the picture of of this public um, dying with Christ, bearing our sins with him. Then they're going to come back up again, which represents sharing in the resurrection of Jesus. Our sins stay buried and we are made alive in Christ. But listen, this is just a representation of something that has already taken place in the hearts and the lives of those who are coming forward for baptism. So in being baptized, it's a clear demonstration that we want to cut off the grip that sin has over our lives. So who should be baptized? Well, baptism is for those who have already realized that they need Jesus, that they've repented, that is turning from their sins, coming to Jesus Christ, and they have chosen to follow him. This is an act of obedience. So I'm going to invite them to come and just to share their story. Um, I think we'll invite Nate to come up first. Is that okay? I'm just going to tell you the story of what God has been doing within our life. So uh, one ahead. Thank you. Lots of faces staring at me. This is great. <laughs> um, I'm here today because I just want to confirm with what it says in the Word. I've been given this this morning from Acts 22:16. Oh, I just marked it. Anyway, it basically asks, what are you waiting for? Go and be baptised now so your sins can be forgiven. And that's just confirmed today why I'm here. I'm here to join with God and have my sins forgiven. Those that are sin, those that are going to happen, all of it. Um, I've been raised a Christian, so I've always sort of known about God and all that kind of stuff. But I was never urged to be baptised. I guess when I was younger, I thought, what's the point? I know I'm a Christian. Everyone knows I'm a Christian. Why do I need to proclaim it in front of lots of people that I may or may not know? (laughs) So, I just wasn't urged to, but now God's really been working in me a lot recently. I just need to make that bold action to say, look, this is your work in me. I want to show everyone I know that is my life. Okay, Carl. Morgan's grandma. And I was um, here and became a Christian on the 24th of April this year. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, right. Just before I start properly, I have a special notebook that I've brought with me that I would be really grateful if people would just sign their name, just so that I've got a record of who was here. And if anybody wants to put a message or anything, that's fine. Just pick a page and go for it. Okay. Um, When I was preparing today, for today rather, I realised that I don't have a drug lord to Jesus' Lord style testimony. (laughs) So I was a bit worried about my testimony being 
bit boring or perhaps I wouldn't get it right in some way. And I was researching online and a paragraph came up. And for the Christians in the room, yes, I know God showed it to me. And it said, every testimony is a tribute to God's power. It's only by God's power that we step out of death into life that we are transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of light. And when I started thinking about my life before I became a Christian, I realized that there was a lot of darkness in my life. I was burdened with guilt for past actions and choices and decisions words said or unsaid, even things that I couldn't remember doing when I was in a manic phase of my bipolar disorder. I was weighed down sorry, um, by my failures as a wife and a mother. I was plagued by the inconsistency and the instability of my life due to my physical and mental health issues. Um, following a funeral, I was confronted again by my fear of dying. And there was, a, there was a terrible sense of loss throughout my whole life, not just in the form of bereavement, although there was quite a bit of that as well, but loss of relationships, of missed opportunities, of years of depression that led to a loss of mind and sanity and self, really, that brought me to a place of suicidal thinking over and over again. And then more recently, over the last few years, a loss of control of my bipolar and depression and a loss of physical abilities due to my polymyalgia and fibromyalgia. And particularly in the last three years, I have felt so isolated no one understood what it was like to have fibro and everything that goes with it. I was having to come to terms with all the things I couldn't do anymore or things that I was struggling to do now. And it just felt like my world was just getting smaller and smaller. And I lived in a house with two people. I live, I live with my husband and my son. But I had never felt so alone. And one night when I was up and all alone again at stupid o'clock in the morning, in the middle of a fibro flare and an allergic reaction uh, and itching uncontrollably and I, I reached a point where I just cried out. I don't mean I literally shouted but emotionally I guess. And I said, all right then, if you're real, if you're really there God, then help me. And I'm not even asking you to take away my PMR and my fibro. I'm not asking for like a big miracle, an all singing, all dancing miracle. But if you could just get rid of this bleeping itching, nothing happened. Well, that's to say the itching didn't stop. Something had happened. I just didn't realise it at the time. And a couple of weeks later, Alexa and Morgan were staying at ours, and I rather very sheepishly kind of told her what I'd done. And she sort of told me, explained to me that it, it wasn't that likely that something would happen if I was kind of in my lounge all by myself, that it was more likely that if something happens, it's because they're responding to hearing the word of God in some way. 
So she quietly suggested that I read the Bible, and then she probably took three steps back in anticipation of me telling her to get stretched. So, yeah, thank you. So I started reading the Bible. And then, never mind reading it, I found myself buying one for myself on Amazon. And I was doing a lot of research online, and I was listening to worship songs too. And then I found myself buying The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> yeah, well, um, let's just say it had a profound impact on me. I was left with a lasting image of Jesus on the cross. And I, I couldn't quite kind of go there because I couldn't bear the thought that he had suffered like that, like for me. So I was very confused. I felt a bit like I was in a giant snow globe, except that the flakes were black. And it was like they were all my thoughts and questions, and they were all like swirling around me. And I kind of went on like that for a couple of weeks, during which time the same piece of scripture kept coming up and it came up about 15 times in two weeks. And for all the Christians in the room, yes, I know now. <laughs> and the, the scripture that came up was Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it was like, right, okay, that's really simplified things now. I haven't got to worry about the snow globe. i just got to concentrate on this. But I knew that I couldn't say the words if I didn't genuinely believe them in my heart, so I was a bit stuck. And then another little bit came up, which is Mark, I think it's chapter 8, 29, and it was where Jesus is asking his disciples who the people are saying, I am. And then he asks them, who do you say I am? And they say the Messiah. And then I realized in that you could ask however many people, 50 different people, and you could get 50 different answers. And that I had to answer that question, who do you say I am for myself? So that's where I was when I came up here for the weekend with a lecture in Morgan. And I talked a little bit about where I was up to with Bex and Alexa. And I had a long talk with Mark. Mark Cuthbert, where's he gone? Oh, there you are. Um, and that was so helpful. And at one point in that conversation, I said something along the lines of, oh, well, you know, you kind of come to a crossroads in your life. And Mark said, well, you come to the cross. Mark was a bit like, oh, okay. And that really resonated with me. And then a few minutes later, the lovely Sue, thank you, did a prophetic drawing, which was a cross. The next day, we bumped into somebody that Alexa knows called Marguerite, who showed us a smaller image of a piece of artwork 
that was being displayed in Chester, which was the cross. And then we went to third space, and Alexa told me that the name of the church we were in was St. Peter at the Cross. So it couldn't really get any clearer, could it? <laughs> anyway, um, that afternoon, I had a, a, a talk with Val, and she prayed with me, and she felt something, but I didn't. But she definitely did. She's around. There you are. Um, so I'm nearly finished, don't worry. So on the Sunday morning, we came here to church, and you'll have to forgive me, Keith, because I can't remember what you preached, but whatever it was, <laughs> whatever it was, it, it connected with me. Don't laugh. I'm being serious here. <laughs> so after the service, Jill and Rachel, Rachel Cooper, were praying with me, and I was really struggling to go from not knowing for sure to knowing. And I was still, I think I was still waiting for something external to happen to me, a feeling, something. I didn't know what I was waiting for, but I thought something was going to happen. And I didn't realize that what needed to happen was for me to find that tiny little bit of faith, that, that leap of faith, and that would build a bridge from not knowing to knowing. So Mark, I asked Mark and Alexa to come over because it, it, I just felt that they should be there. And everybody was praying, and it gets a bit hazy here for me, but I know that I kept seeing Jesus on the cross. And then I knew that he had died for me and for the forgiveness of my sins. And I knew that I just, I can't, I just can't, I can't deny you anymore. I can't deny who you are and what you've done. And then I was very emotional. And Mark guided me through the salvation prayer. And I became a Christian. Uh, there we go. So I know a lot of people prayed for me for a long time some of whom are here today, which I'm really happy about, and some of whom aren't. But I know that every person that had a bit of my journey, I just want to say thank you. So since becoming a Christian, which isn't a very long period of time, but since I've become a Christian, I feel calmer. I feel more peaceful. I deal with anger much better. I'm not saying I don't feel anger, but the way I deal with it has changed. And I feel that I have a more merciful and forgiving heart. I don't have that burden of guilt anymore because I know all of my sins are forgiven. I'm no longer scared of dying because I know I'll have everlasting life. I'm no longer alone because my God is always with me. And my soul doesn't live in darkness anymore. Because in John 8:12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So I'm here today to be baptized and to say that I do 
confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, that I do believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and by and that by the grace of God through faith I'm saved. <laughs> Every so often, somebody in, in work asks me, why on earth do you throw yourself into this church stuff? This is the reason why we do it. Yeah? Because God is working, and God is changing lives. Um, and uh, it's just wonderful, real privilege um, to be part of their stories, um, and ongoing stories, of course, as well, and all that God is, is doing. So it's just, just wonderful, isn't it? Really wonderful. So we're, we're just going to... Um, we're just... just just pray for a moment and maybe just anything we want to share before we, we uh, go. But I just want to pray. Now we want to just pray for God's blessing over you. As we stand in the water, just pray that you just know just the, uh, the love and the, just the warmth of, of God upon you, just resting upon you, that he's, he's your strength, he's your hope, and your peace. This time in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not only that long, but I just want to bring honour because sometimes the quiet ones get overlooked. But this is this is what God says about the quiet ones. It says that instead it should be that your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. In another translation, it's very precious to him. Your gentle and your quiet spirit is very precious to him. And I just want to I just want to encourage you in that. Okay. So nay on confession of your faith, we now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I just really felt just as just as Sam I spoke about particularly at the end, just this little little bit here, just um Psalm thirty three. Um and it says just to encourage you You wait in hope for the Lord. He is your help and your shield. In him your heart rejoices. For you trust in his holy name. May the Lord's unfailing love rests upon you, even as you put your hope in him. And Lord, we pray that, Lord, over Cal, as we, we uh, just um, come to baptize her, Lord Jesus, that, Lord, this Lord will be a significant moment, Lord, of hope in you, as it's already been already, Lord. It's just, uh, but, Lord, we just pray for more. More from you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. There's not a lot to add to what you've already said, Cal, but uh, just to, just to, a couple of things where it's first time I've ever witnessed somebody, I know you've said you've had lots of people praying for you, but it's the first time uh, being having the privilege of standing with someone who's come to Christ, who actually there were no one praying, and you called out to God, 
and I seen you wonderfully born again without one person praying for you. And it were it were just the most wonderful sight to when you saw him on the cross. Mm. And we talked a lot about believing and knowing. Mm. And that scripture this morning, this is how we know. Mm. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And the other scripture was from Acts where it says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. <laughs> and just as and the ongoing journey as we walk together, what, what Keith shared today, mm. by his wounds, we're praying in faith mm. that you'll be healed. In Jesus' name. So, Cal, on, on confession of your faith, we now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.